And welcome back to another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It is Monday, April 12th as we record. Guys, after a week off, a lot of things have been happening in the state of Ohio. Um, Some coaching trials and tribulations, baseball getting set up, whole lot going on in the state of Ohio. Yeah, it's been a... We only took one week off, but it's been a roller coaster, man. I know. I, we, we figured during Easter, we're like, ah, first weekend right. of baseball. Nothing's going to happen that much. <laughs> nothing crazy. Watch a little know. Masters, you know, nothing big, but uh, I, I'm kind of tired, you know, from it. It's been all between the whole Bearcats thing and the Reds. And it's, it's been, been a, a lot. Coaster. It's been a roller coaster, been a roller coaster week. for you. Yeah, and top it all off, rest in peace, DMX. Yeah, man. I know. It's a lot. A lot. A lot, man. Well, we are on 30 Rack Sports, Ohio's sports and beer podcast. Before we jump into what's going on in the state of Ohio and uh, introduce our beer of the week, which is which is quite a beer of the week. I'm I'm actually very excited for this one. Uh, We got our intros. So uh, to my right. I'd rather face Shane Bieber than have to hear him talk about the Indians, but uh, <laughs> it's our Indians fan. It's Zach. Zach, how are we doing today? Uh, doing pretty good after the after the sweep. I'd say a few days ago, not feeling so good, but Jose, back in first place. Great. I know, back. Jose, in Jose, Jose, Fran Mills getting going. Yeah, feeling good. Pitching's been pretty good. Pitching's too. been great. Bullpen, best in the league, man. To my left is on the ones and twos, and a guy who I'd rather. Have Nick Castellano scream in my face for several hours straight than hear him talk about the Reds. It's our producer. It's Josh. Josh, how are you feeling about the Reds? I'm feeling great, man. It's just refreshing. I just feel refreshed by it. It's been so long since we started like this. I, I don't care about the haters. I don't care about the doubters. I just feel great about it. It's been so, like I said, a roller coaster. It's been a roller coaster. <laughs> but the one thing that I'm sure of is we're not going to get, we're going to get, our bias takes from the left and from the right, but the one true voice of baseball is right here in the middle. Okay. My name's Greg. I'm the talent around here on 30 Rack of Sports. Okay. Any take you're going to have is just going to get one of us riled up. That's the whole point behind it. I wouldn't say it's objective. Just give us another month here. So excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know what I'm not excited for? What? Is our, uh, our bracket challenge that we did. Oh, hey, I beat you guys. So really, that's all that matters, right? Ah. I guess our collective one didn't do. I think all of our listeners beat our collective bracket. The only one that didn't beat us was uh, Zach's individual bracket of lies. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, all Tough of you when beat you us. Tough you Ohio State to take it, it out. I got fucked. Yeah, we all... Actually, everyone that picked a Big Ten champion was uh, finished in the last three spots. Yeah, Big Ten... Yeah, I could talk all about that, but... Uh, but it was uh, my own my own father... That won the whole thing, stole the show from us. So, congrats, Dad, and we'll be sending you some goodies courtesy of us. Owen Bayless uh, is our runner up. He finished second, also chose Baylor. And then uh, I've, I'm bringing in the bronze there, also chose Baylor. Me, Owen, and my dad were the only ones that chose Baylor. Um, yeah, and then uh, your brother and I both had uh, both had the Zag, yep. which was tough to watch. I told you, I called it. Yeah, Bobby, Zach, show Greg, it, all had the me. Gonzaga pick. Show it to me. Give me it all the way to the finals. 
Yeah, there were it a couple. It doesn't matter when you run. There are a couple that were really close. Zach was really close. Bobby was really close. And Greg, uh, you guys were all really close there at the end, heading into the uh, Elite Eight Final Four section. Yeah, I think but... in the Final Four, if we would have had Houston over Baylor and the Zags over Houston. I want Greg to admit that close. I was right on my take on Gonzaga. That, no, because they made you, you want thought Greg they were going to admit that he was like right. No, I didn't. I said, I said, I guarantee they will not win the national championship. That's all I said. Baylor, and man, they, they came out. They you came out. Ohio State as your champion. So I'm oh, I know, but we're not talking about Ohio State. We're talking about anything. I'll give it to the Bears. I'll give it to the Bears, though. I mean, they came out super aggressive. Uh, had that kid from Walnut Hills. Shout out to my main man from Walnut Hills in Cincinnati. But uh, yeah, four uh, four brackets altogether had the correct champion in Hammer Two. Mark Semserot, the champion of the Thirty Rack Podcast Pool. Shout out, shout out to your dad. Yeah, the done. hammer. If it's only, hammer time. Put in the hammer town. If only he could have, uh, you know, transferred some of that down to you, but it doesn't look uh, like no, it. No, no. So uh, now that we're all depressed because we didn't win the bracket pool and Zach's trying to accuse me of uh, needing po- to apologize. I'm sorry. I like to hold people accountable on this show. Oh, unlike other okay. sports shows for your terrible <laughs> takes, and okay. I just... Well, and we've got positive stuff to get to. I mean, we've got a good list of headlines. We've got the Columbus crew who came out absolutely firing on all cylinders in the CONCACAF Champions League. I'm sure that again. (laughs) The CONCACAF (laughs) Champions League. And Zach, I'm sure you were dialed in watching them play Real Esteli. Yeah, of course. I'm always dialed in. But then we will have some tough things to get to uh, with the Bearcats basketball program. But I've got a sweet uh, treat in what's brewing Ohio that'll lighten the mood. And the Blue Jackets. But uh, we'll get to it all right now in the headlines. Baseball is heating up, and the Reds are red hot right now, winning two of their first three series, rattling off six straight wins before dropping their last two in Arizona. The Tribe started off slowly, but it bounced back nicely, winning their last four games. Uh, The two Ohio teams, both on top of their divisions right now, uh, match up for a weekend series in Cincinnati. From the field to the pitch, as the the CONCACAF Champions League started last week, CONCACAF started their campaign out strong with a 4-0 beatdown of a rough and scrappy Nicaraguan side in Real Esteli in the first round in the first leg of the round of 16. The Columbus leg will be played Thursday night as the crew looks to move into the quarterfinals. (laughs) On the ice, the trade deadline came and went on Monday afternoon, but before the dust settled, the Jackets made some major moves. With young leaders Zach Rowinski and Boone Jenner out for the season, and the Jackets sitting well out of the playoff race, Columbus dealt defenseman David Savard to Tampa and captain Nick Foligno to Toronto, which netted the squad four draft picks, including two firsts, a third, and a fourth, as the Jackets look to the future in a rebuild. And finally, big news coming out of UC, where the Bearcats have fired coach John Brannon after just two seasons, in which the team won the AAC regular season title in 1920 and made it to the conference championship the past season. Potential allegations along with player issues and six players ending up in the transfer portal were a big part of what led to his dismissal as the Bearcats look to find their new leader for the men's basketball program, guys. We'll get into that and a whole lot more, but those are your OH headlines. Conca-Cap. Conca-Cap. Oh. Beer of the week. That's awesome. Yeah, how do you do that? That's cool. 
Alrighty, guys, for our beer of the week, we have a. This is a big time beer. This is a. This is a beer I've been very interested to try ever since you picked it up, Josh. It's from Arche Brewing in Akron, Ohio. Just a beer from Akron, guys. Just a beer from Akron. Just a beer from Akron. It is the uh, Arche Brewing Emperor of the Known Universe. So this beer, just to prep you for it, it's a long one, is a peanut butter Oreo double imperial oatmeal pastry stout. Once again, for the viewers at home, a peanut butter Oreo double imperial oatmeal pastry stout. It is 12% alcohol. So if by the end we're slurring our words a little bit, just blame the emperor. The I'm going gonna, gonna to have to get uh, one of the interns on this, but I believe this might be the highest uh, alcohol content beer we've had on the show. Delicious. I think we've, we've had a couple double we've, digits, yeah, but it might had, be the first 12%er. Yeah, this one's up there at a full 12%, and the can is, is epic first off. I mean, it's epic. just the name is epic, and the can lives very up to Star it as well. Very Star Wars, yeah, not we'll, breaking any copyright laws. Yeah, I'll let Zach get to it more later and recite it in his reciting in the can and everything. But the beer itself also lives up to it. It's fantastic. What I mean, what are your guys' opinions on it? Oh, I haven't tasted it yet. Oh, sorry. I was, I was waiting. I, was, I thought we were all gonna do it together. I was cheating. I couldn't. I couldn't hold it. It smells great, though. You know what? When when people. Once again, you kind of mentioned, oh. or at least I read the, what, like 10-letter name for it. You're wondering, are you going to get all those tastes? You get the peanut butter right up front, but on the yeah. very end, you get like that like Oreo cookie aftertaste, yeah. actually. Yeah. It's, it's very uh, weird, but like it's fan. really good. Big fan. The end is kind of, I, I'm hesitant to use this word, the end is almost kind of, yeah, like a thick Oreo pastry. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of thick at the end. But yeah, you get the peanut butter and like the oatmeal stout portion of it right up front, like right away. And I understand you either get like a good fizzy pour, Greg, or you get like a uh, a good dark pour like we have here on our 30 rack glasses. Josh, could you be talking about from our friend Angelo J, who said, this is delicious, but pour, it fizzed up like a pop and the head just dissipated within a second. Very strange dissipated within a second i think you got a a pretty good head to it no yeah it did have a good head to it and it and it yeah it's it's a full it's a full beer it it does have the crisp crispiness to it and everything a lot of stouts i understand where he's coming from a lot of stouts do kind of have that flatter milkier thing to it but this still has a very crisp fizz to it and i think that's what makes it kind of a really well-rounded beer it doesn't really like feel like a 12 percent stout well, the one thing no. that... I'm going to be eating those words later, but... Yeah. <laughs> the one thing that I, I noticed about this stout is I'm not a huge stout guy. I'll be completely honest. But this one isn't... You don't get way too much of the stout flavor. And then especially peanut buttery stouts, you get like peanut butter, punch you in the face. Yeah. Stout, punch you in the right. face. Yeah. But you just get like all of the notes and they're subtle. And I mean, it's 12% and it's certainly like heavy, but it's not like overbearing for a stout where you're like you know some of the beers that i've had in the past especially some of like the heavy ice cream or like cookie beers you have like two sips and you're like all right i've had i've had enough for a night well that's why i'm kind of glad they went with an oatmeal style stout instead of maybe a milk style stout 
I feel like a milk stout, you might have gotten kind of punched punched in the face with a little bit of it, a, yeah. a little more. But this, with the oatmeal stout, I feel like that mixes with the peanut butter, that mixes with the malts a little better, and I think it's a really well-rounded beer. Love it. Two locations for Arche up in yeah. Akron, uh, one free. downtown and one in the uh, Merriman Valley area. Oh. So if you're up in the Akron area, check out the Arche Brewing. Arche Brewing, though, does a real good job at distributing. You can find them most places in Ohio. Yeah, if you look on if you look on uh, arshebrewing.com, they have a a full list um for all the breweries also um you know uh tap room with uh, some food there too. So, you know, as things start to open up, they say specifically dine in safe, uh come in, have a beer or just enjoy it at once again one of the many locations that they sell Arche Brewing whether it's the Emperor of the Known Universe, or one of their many other brews. And guys, I've got some uh, more about brewing in that area and how you can find uh, a little pick-me-up with this uh, Arche and Akron area in the What's Brewing Ohio segment at the end of the show. But for now, let's talk some sports. As we are drinking a pretty heavy beer today in the... Uh, imperial stout we're only having one quick sip uh this one hell yeah or hell nah we're talking a little bit of soccer guys we're talking the Concacaf champions league uh hell yeah or hell nah can the crew make it to the Concacaf champions league final well greg first can you explain i know all about it but can you explain to those listeners who might not know what the Concacaf? Concacaf. <laughs> i know Concacaf. Sorry. I know I was, ma- I was saying that as a joke so often that that's how I say it now. Concacaf. What's it stand for, Greg? It's the, the North. Con- it's it's the North <laughs> and Central American um, Soccer Federation. Basically, there's a lot of fancy words. What what do the letters stand for? I mean, I could search it on the internet, but it's the North and Central American. Some soccer fan. Never mind. Don't even answer the question. You obviously don't know anything about it. <laughs> so the Champions League. Um, is similar to what you might find in uh, UEFA, which is the European Soccer Federation. And what is, when you hear the term Champions League, most people are referring to that tournament. The champion! It has its own song, as we just heard a portion of. Wow. Yeah, it's very popular, very, I would argue, probably the most popular club tournament there is club in the world. Tur- yeah, so... Um, this is our region of the world's version of that tournament. So this is the, as we mentioned, North and Central American uh, Champions League. You have to qualify by either winning or being successful in one of the various, you know, U.S. tournaments, Mexico, Canada... Or there's a qualification process for some of the lower leagues, like there is a uh, you know Haitian team, Costa Rican team, Honduran team, stuff like that. It's been mixed up a lot recently, but basically, if you win your league or win one of the tournaments in your country, you get into this. So the MLS teams that qualified were the team that won the MLS Cup in 2020, which is the, their playoffs, mm-hmm. which is the Columbus Crew, if you've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, the Supporters' Shield, which is basically the team that has the best record during the regular season. They pay attention to regular season championships, uh, which is Philadelphia. 
Uh, this one specifically for this year, the MLS is back cup. Portland won that, so they get an automatic bid. And then usually the U.S. Open, which is a tournament that involves all levels of U.S. soccer, so like, you know, USL. Cincinnati was uh, almost... Did they make it to the finals? Made it to the semifinals. Made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup back when they were a USL team. Oldest soccer tournament in the country. So Atlanta won it in 2019, so they get the automatic bid since it wasn't won last year. And then Toronto won the Canada Cup, or at least made it to the Canada Cup final. Um, And then Mexican teams make it in. They have a... Uh, fall and spring league. So the top two teams in the fall, top two mm. teams in the spring make it in. And then a mix of other teams make it in. So there are 16 teams. Uh, this current format has been since 2008. Uh, since then, only four MLS teams, two teams based in the United States, have made it to the finals. Uh, Real Salt Lake, Montreal, Toronto, and then LAFC last year. All of their finalists and all champs since 2008 have been Mexican League teams. Mm. Um, the last U.S. winner of any t- any kind was the L.A. Galaxy back in 2000. So normally the first round of this tournament is the MLS or the Liga MX, which is the Mexican League teams. They play some of the smaller teams, you know, the Costa, Costa Rican teams, the Honduran teams, stuff like that. So once you get into the round of eight, you're facing either other MLS teams or you're facing Mexican league teams. So the question we have is, can the crew make it to the finals? That would be tied for the best finish ever by an MLS team. If they would win it, they would be the first MLS team to win it under its current format. Um, Currently, they are kicking Real Esteli's ass. They beat him 4-0 in the first leg. If they win, they would likely play the Mexican side Monterey, who is uh, up 3 nothing after their first leg. So Monterey currently third place in uh, League MX right now. Uh, so the semis would either be versus probably Leon, Cruz Azul, both Mexican league teams or Toronto. And then the other side of the bracket only actually has one Mexican team. So they've got kind of a rough draw, but yeah, having that's... to deal with... a probably two mexican league teams on their way to the finals it makes any shot it makes you want to say hell yeah they can do it because if they can get to the finals like they're they're two toughest yeah they're two tougher games matches that they would have to or series rather i guess that they would have to take on would be before the finals if they make it to the finals that could arguably be their second or third easiest game of this tournament but yeah, you got Monterey and Club America in there, uh, both the second and third place teams in uh, what is it, Liga MX? Yeah, Liga MX. So right now it's America who's on the other side, uh, Cruz Azul, and then Monterey. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know Zach. I know you. You watch a lot of late night Liga yeah, MX on on FS1. <laughs> But uh, Cruz Azul and Club America are just in great form right now. I think the crew have the depth there because they've got uh, Wright Phillips now, an MLS veteran, uh, backing up Zardes. They've got depth. When you go into these alternate tournaments, you have to have depth because you have to choose, and that's what always makes the Champions League difficult for MLS teams. It's happening right as your league season is beginning. And you have to choose what you're going to focus on. Same with the U.S. Open Cup. Same with any other 
you that's know, why mid-season you, cup. That's you have why to you choose. see it's rare a lot of times for teams to win their domestic league and the Champions League and the domestic cup. You know, uh, right now in Europe, Manchester City has a chance to win all those cups, and it's a really big deal because it hasn't happened in forever. Yeah, you rarely see so. that. I know it was a big deal a couple of years ago when Toronto pulled off the Canadian uh, trifecta and won all three major North American tournaments. I think the crew have a chance to do that here just because they won the MLS Cup. That gives them motivation to want to win this cup, and they have depth, especially when you look at the midfield. you got Artur Zellerion. I know Nagby's out right now, but then Pedro Santos is nothing to sneeze at. You've just got you've got a lot of playmakers and a lot of depth on this team. You could definitely start the season while making a run in this tournament. I'm going well, hell yeah. End, I mean, the end of the tournament is late in the season. It yeah. doesn't end until October. You know, you do a couple rounds in um, April, the second round, couple rounds in May, That's and then true. Yeah. the semis and the finals are kind of late summer and into fall. So you think you're saying, hell yeah. Saying hell yeah. This crew will be the Confederation of North Central American and Caribbean Association football champions. I'm saying they can get there. <laughs> there you <laughs> Good go. for Very you. Nice. Good for Googled you. Googled it. Yeah, but the the pronunciation, the gusto in it was perfect. I'll yeah, say that, that was really good. Thank you. But and this is also aggregate scoring too. And I think that this team just has a lot of, mm. you know, good uh, creative midfielders and a lot of good finishers, and so they can rack up goals as we're seeing now in this opening round. Zach, what about you? Any any hope in the crew? I'll ask you, Greg. We'll just pass it on to you. Because I sure yeah, go Ohio. Um. I would love to say the crew are going to win this. I, I would really love to say it. And as he's like, wearing a Columbus crew, as I'm wearing, championship. Yeah, championship. Right. That's what I'm trying to be realistic. Right, I'm trying fair, to be 100% fair, fair. realistic. Uh, not having Darlington Nagby. He's one of, yeah. one of, if not the most important player on any team in the MLS. And I'm not overstating that. He's one of, he was one of two players last season to play every single minute of MLS action for his team. And can run the offense. It can run the team at mm-hmm. times. He's one of the, I mean, in the center. So, you know, midfielder. So yeah. offense, defense, all of it. The other issue that you have is, you know, if they would have gotten a better draw where maybe they're where Philadelphia is, where they would have to play likely another MLS opponent and then maybe just one Mexican league team in the semis to get to the mm-hmm. finals. I think just the issue is, CONCACAF football is, is a little bit different. You know, you saw it in Columbus Crews game versus Real Estelle. It was a little bit chippier, um, some pretty honestly dirty fouls that they didn't call appropriately. You know, maybe a little bit more used to it with some of these Mexican league teams. I just think it'll be very difficult, especially if Nagby can't play. The other issue that you have is most teams play, you know, as, as we said, Mexico, they play fall, spring. So these two games would be in May. It would be late in the season or after the season for Mexico. They'd be in, you know, their full regular form. Uh, MLS season doesn't start till, you know, late April. Uh, it's just starting here soon. So the crew maybe not quite in their full form, getting their feet under them. Mm-hmm. I think it might be difficult. I think there's certainly a chance, and I think if they can get by Monterey, I really like their chances. But I would say Monterey might be – one of the toughest teams in the I would probably say Club America on the other side and then Monterey. So I would say I'm going hell nah, but if they 
if they surprise me, which they have before, and I think they have the talent to do it, but they just have to be healthy and play their best football. Yeah, I'm I'm with, soccer. I'm with you there. They they've just surprised a lot and have a lot of depth. Have added a lot of depth in the past two years, so I think they can do it. But yeah, those Club America and Monterey look tough. It looks like currently, once again, the second leg coming up later this week. Uh, Columbus will face Real Estelle in Columbus at Historic Crew Stadium. Uh, then likely face Monterey with the first leg being late in April and then the uh, second leg being somewhere between the 4th and 6th of May. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, if the crew advance and keep going on, we will have all your news for Columbus Crew Football right here on 30 Rack Sports. Con cacaf. So much con All right, guys, we're to our 30 Rack Sports big chug as we're sipping along some Arche Brewing, Emperor of the Known Universe. The Known Universe for the Cincinnati Bearcats seems to be shriveling away, and we are left in a... Instead of a state of known, we are left in a state of great unknown right now after these tumultuous couple weeks for a historic basketball program just as a preface for all of you listeners uh, we are all University of Cincinnati alums on this show we uh, all care about this school and the program a great deal uh, paid a crap but, load of money you better start winning yeah we uh, <laughs> we are at I a mean, crossroads my favorite, here. my favorite player is a guy who played at Played for the team when I was like two, so I've yeah. been watching this team since I could like remember. And yeah, being very angry about this team since I can remember. We're, yeah, we're we've been here for the long run. We we've are not just passion, we're, we're not well just away. some you know we are some guys on the internet yelling about sports, oh, yeah. but we very much care about this school and this team. Uh, and we are at a crossroads, and we have gotten to these crossroads, uh, Greg. I'll, I'll leave you to the uh, the timeline of how we got to this point in the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. All right, so we're going to start this timeline way back when. Going all the way back. We're starting April... The hiring of McCronin? April 9th, 2019. Not that uh, far. <laughs> not far. We don't uh, need to do Nancy and all that. Not doing the UNLV thing? 1961, the Bearcats <laughs> went... <laughs> That'd be great. No, but... Uh, 1819, you see. <laughs> <laughs> University of Cincinnati was founded. <laughs> so there's a sport called basketball. Dr. John Naismith, you know, he had a little bit to do with it. But April 9th, 2019, um, Mick Cronin, named the UCLA head coach, leaves Cincinnati. Uh, five days later, John Brannon is named the UC head coach from Northern Kentucky. During that offseason, they had five players transfer out of the program. Uh, Logan Johnson, who was a star freshman to St. Mary's. Uh, Laquil Hartnett, who was a redshirt freshman to Buffalo. Transfer Rashawn Fredericks, transferred to UAB. Eliel Sosemi to Georgia State. And uh, Nysir Brooks, who was the starting center to Miami, Florida. They got uh, transfers in Javen Cumberland, Chris McNeil, Chris Vogt, 
and Jay Cerula. Everyone but Vogt was a grad transfer. And then three incoming freshmen in Jeremiah Davenport, Micah Adams-Woods, and Zach Harvey. So you start in December 9th, 2019, early in the season. Trevor Moore leaves the program to transfer to Morgan State. February 4th, 2020, Jay Cerula leaves the program to go to Europe and turn pro. So some players leaving the program early. Not sure if it's just a culture fit or what. Then about a month later, March 7th, 2020, they do have a comeback victory versus Temple, 64-63. They clinch a share of the AAC title and a onesie in the tournament. Fortunately, of course, as everybody knows around the world, uh, March 12th, 2020, the AAC tournament canceled and the NCAA tournament soon after. Uh, during that offseason, they lost four seniors plus uh, sophomore Prince Toyambi, who uh, hadn't played for the first two years due to a red shirt and a heart surgery. He left for Georgia Southern, but uh, did uh, you know reload with incoming transfers. I, uh, Rapolis Ivanowskis, a grad transfer from Colgate, and David DeJulius, um, a junior from Michigan. And then incoming freshmen, I uh, got the Matson brothers, uh, Gavin Mason from Minnesota, Mike Saunders Jr., Tari Eason, and uh, Russian Victor Locken, who ended up having off-season surgery, so he was out for the entire year. Uh, so December 2nd, 2020, they start the season, get a victory over Lipscomb. Ten days later, the Bearcats lose to Tennessee, and Mamadou Diara opts out due to uh, potential COVID issues. I think he had just had a kid at that point. Um, just 18 days later, Diara decides to opt back in, but uh, Rapolis Ivanowskis opts out to go back to Europe to go pro. Just a day later, one of the Matson brothers, Gabe Matson, opts out for the season. January 10th, the Bearcats fall to 3-7, and 1-4 and four after a loss to Wichita. And two days later, their game later in the week versus ECU gets canceled due to COVID issues. Uh, February 4th, they play their first game since January 10th, a 63-60 win at Temple, and then finish up their regular season on March 7th at 10-10 and after a win over ECU. A week later, they are in the AAC Championship after defeating SMU and Wichita State, but fall 91-54 to Houston, in which Brandon walks off the court early, which sparks some tweets from uh, the mothers of freshman Tari Eason and Mike Saunders Jr. That was kind of the first, at least for me, that was one of the first like big issues. You know, aside of the yeah. team, there was kind of some some trials and, and tribulations. Uh, I had missed earlier in the season. You know, Zach Harvey had also uh, opted out. So he had you know three opt outs so far in that season. Um. Just two days after that, um, Mamadou Diara, who had opted out at some point in the season, you know, opted out and opted back in. Zach Harvey, who had opted out about a month before. Mike Saunders Jr. and Gabe Madsen, who had opted out right after the fall semester, announced their intent to transfer. Just one day later, Tari Eason and Mason Madsen announced their decision to transfer. So at that point, you have... Six players in the transfer portal in just two days, three days after an AAC final. That day, Justin Williams of The Athletic um, puts out the first article talking about potential issues and disconnects from the coaching staff, which may have led to some of the transfers. March 19th, something that I think has gotten kind of lost in this whole spell is uh, Bryson's spell, actually. Uh, power forward commits to UC. <laughs> 
the one commit that Brandon has had had coming into this season. A week after that, uh, UC announces that they are um, commencing a review of allegations stemming from a rift between players and coach, uh, which included the players reaching out to the AD on the matter. Um, On April 3rd, Brandon was suspended by the university during the investigation, and um, an article by Justin Williams of The Athletic said that there were no details for the investigation that have come out yet, but the the uh, university is likely looking into the language in the contract, such as the coach intentionally, negatively, and materially impacts the welfare of a student-athlete, or, quote, coach engages in conduct, conduct which seriously and materially or seriously and materially is prejudicial to the best interests of the university, the athletic department, and or the men's basketball team, and or which seriously or materially is contrary to the university's educational mission, which is a absolute mouthful. That's a lot of big lawyering, lawyering words. <laughs> seriously or materially contrary to the university's educational sure, mission. I have no idea what that means. Soon or not. <laughs> Just six days later, uh, Cincinnati <laughs> fires coach John Brannon. Uh, Brandon came out with a statement talking about how he was very disappointed in the decision. Most of us, I think, talking, at this point, yeah. were expecting. Yeah. Um, a day later, info came out. Did that, you want to go back? That we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a day later, info from some sources came out that potentially Eric Martin and Nick Van Exel uh, had been interviewed. Uh, Nick Van Exel was a potential candidate for the last time UC was looking for a coach, but the big issue is uh, college institutions want these coaches to have a degree. Nick Van Exel does not currently have a degree, left UC early. He's got um, a degree in throwing it down. He does. <laughs> and making some sweet highlight plays, especially for the Lakers. And then uh, as recently as today, uh, Chad Brendel of uh, 24-7 Sports and Bearcat Journal. What up, Chad? Uh, reported that uh, UC has had a second interview with Eric Martin and is in some potential contract negotiations. So... Looks like right now, potentially, UC might be, uh, you know, kind of zoning in it as a former player uh, in the early 90s, Eric Martin as the coach. Uh, also, just to kind of get this out here, as we mentioned, six players in the transfer portal. Uh, right now, the player's gone for sure. Gabe Matson has uh, committed to play for Utah. Zach Harvey has committed to uh, UC Santa Barbara, so he'll be a gaucho next season. Santa Barbara is uh, beautiful. Nice pick. Mike Saunders will make his decision Thursday. I know BYU is one of the teams high on his uh, list. I don't know. But, uh, and then no. no firm word yet uh, from wrong. any of the other teams, whether it's uh, Diara, uh, Eason, or, or uh, Mason Madsen. So that's that's kind of the timeline we have. It, it's a long, comprehensive yeah. timeline. Yeah, so Greg, well done on that. <laughs> that was a very comprehensive. I know for a lot of fans, this has been a very stressful time because there really has been so much going on. I mean, that was such a comprehensive and well done list by you, but it goes all the way back to only maybe Almost a exactly year ago. two years ago. Yeah, two right, years ago because of Mick, yeah. They fired John Brennan 
two years to the day after Mick took the job. So that two-year ride, and especially the last six months of this two-year ride, it's been all over the place because let's not forget that the Cincinnati Bearcats last year won the regular season American title, and then this year, somehow, through all of this, made it to the American Athletic Championship game in the tournament. Yeah. So after all of that, quickly before we get to our beer break here, and then we'll really get into it, what's everyone's initial take on this whole fiasco here zach uh i mean it's wild uh and i mean we didn't we we're not even going to touch on Zay. xavier's got a whole thing going on too across the town um both programs look to be in shambles i've never a fan of the john brand hire i know cronin just kind of i don't know why uc seemed caught off guard after he flirted with going to unlv uh, what was that, a year or two before he took the UCLA job? Yeah, it was for a new contract. No, I know, but he, he got on a plane. I mean, he seriously was not obviously happy. But I, I thought the hiring was rushed to begin with. I thought it was a very uninspiring hiring. Um, obviously, walking up the court and some of the things you've heard, and I don't think we have the whole story. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, the firing's deserved. Um, I think it could get messy here, though, as far as are they going to have to pay that buyout or not. I right. think it's pretty premature to be in contract negotiations for a school strap for cash. Right. When I, I don't know. They're definitely, when you look at these kind of situations, you look for, a, typically, they're looking for a pattern yeah. of behavior. And there's definitely not a great pattern of behavior going on with any of the parties involved here. And that's what's concerned. I believe we can move on from this and everything. Right. And I think we are in the process of that. Yeah. But there's definitely a concerning pattern of behavior that I think you're seeing. Yeah. And I think a root of that is a either lack of communication or poor means of communication. Just, it doesn't add up to me. Sorry, just jumping like the whole thing. I mean, like I didn't, it was an uninspiring hiring, but I thought, he did pretty well. NKU is a pretty highly respected yeah. program. He made I'm not knocking Brandon one. as a coach. And so I just kind of thought at worst he'd be a nice like steady presence. He had a pretty good success there. This whole thing's wild to me. Yeah. I don't know if the big lights just over the river in the big city got too much for him. I don't know. It's weird. It is, it is bigger over here than it is in Alexandria. No, it is. I mean, Cincinnati is a basketball school first and foremost. So. We're going to get to Zach's beer uh, break with the reciting of the can in a minute. Greg, your initial thoughts on the whole situation? I think going into the Brandon hire, I was decently happy, I guess. You know, I, I was hoping they didn't go too crazy. Maybe he was looking at Van Exel, but obviously there were the degree issues. You know, I thought he would bring a change of pace. I kind of liked the fact that he ran a little bit more off up tempo. I was kind of worried about the personnel that he had. And then also, you know, I knew there would be a step back. I knew, you know, guys transferring out. I figured the second year would kind of be a transition year and COVID actually, you know, kind of accentuated that. But the one issue that you had was you saw a lot of disconnects between the player and the team. You heard little rumbles of it. You saw players unhappy on the sidelines, and then you heard during the COVID break that there was a huge disconnect. That basically these players were left alone, and like the coach like didn't even like talk to them or do anything. That's weird. That was kind of a big issue. And then after the last game, it kind of you know came to light with the six players transferring. And I just think it's just disappointing because you know you you put a lot of hope in this guy and. 
you know, I understand him wanting to fight for his money because obviously it's it's a it's more money than any of us could really That's... understand. But what's been coming out, what's been hearing is, you know, him talking about players behind other players' backs, um, him, you know, telling players that they'll have different roles than what they actually get when they get on campus. Uh, you know, I just have a certain tweet that, you know, I saw because I was looking at, you know, when all these players transferred for the for the timeline. And I saw a tweet that, you know, a couple of players retweeted from Mamadou Diara that said, coaches can really change your life for the better or can change it for the worst possible. And you said after it, it doesn't have anything to do with UC something, something, you know, I have respect <laughs> sure. for all my coaches. Sure. sure. <laughs> just dude, fired that one off. Yeah, randomly. <laughs> dude opted out and opted back in probably for his team. The Julius was getting a whole lot of hate when he opted out and then opted back in to help his team. And he was actually one of them that came out and like defended Brandon. But a lot of these guys, when you, when you bring in, when you change the culture and you bring in your guys, you know what I mean? Like you see it in coaches everywhere, you know, professional sports, Mm. college sports, you fire everybody and you bring in your guys. Yeah. When your guys turn on you, then there's a problem with you. Oh yeah. You know, he came in, and I understood he was going to run a different kind of offense. You know, most notably... Initial transfers aren't yeah. a freak. That happens every program yeah. everywhere. That happens Especially everywhere. Especially this year. Decommitments and stuff like that. You're like, hey, this one coach said... You know, and especially if you look at, you know, just the philosophical differences. But at the end of the day, Brandon did not keep this university up to the point where it should be. He... You know, we understood there was going to be a step back, but when you're going, when you're totally having to reload your team every year, you have grad transfers transferring out. You know, leaving in the middle of the year, two years straight, because I believe they are weren't getting the role that they were expecting. You were leaving a guy, and I don't like to pile on Chris Folk, but a guy that was with Brandon his entire career, who was left on the floor when he was almost irrelevant at times this year. And then you have some players that are trying to grow that you're throwing to the end of the bench. It was just a poor way of coaching and maybe a guy that didn't understand how to handle talent. It was almost like a college coach running into the end, you know, like a college coach running into the pros and trying to run things his way. It was just very weird, very clunky, very awkward and just not a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our initial thoughts. That's the timeline. I understand that was a lot, but you know, we got a lot to unpack in this whole situation here with the Bearcats basketball program. We're going to take a quick break with Zach's reciting of the can on this awesome can we have from R-Shape Brewing. When we come back, we'll really get into this thing, discuss who these characters are and John Brandon, uh, Cincinnati AD John Cunningham, and what's going to happen next with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. You're listening to 30 Rack of Sports. All right, so we're going to do a reading of the can, uh, as we've done probably once before. Um, not really anything on the website or the can that's uh, Sometimes they don't always give you some Yeah, materials. which is fine. So you yeah, don't so, want to read the government uh, I'm warning. going off uh, beeradvocate.com. Uh, BB1313 from Ohio left a pretty nice in-depth review. Way to go, BB13. One through one through. He said, a 16-ounce can poured into a tulip, pours almost black, khaki head that fades, leaving nice retention and lacing. The aromas have peanut butter leading the way, some chocolate pie crust, malts are there, 
The flavors follow the noses. Strong blend of peanut butter and chocolate. Some chocolate syrup as well. Hints of vanilla cream. Moderate sweetness. Low bitterness. Strong malt backbone. Mild warmth in the finish. But it's not too hot or boozy at all. The alcohol is well hidden and basically goes unnoticed considering the ABV. Mouthfeel is full-bodied with moderate to low carbonation. It's fluffy, creamy, velvety, smooth, and dangerously drinkable. This is a great imperial stout. This is basically everything that I expect from a peanut butter Oreo double imperial oatmeal pastry stout. Arche makes some great imperial stouts, and this one is no different. Well done. I really like it. Greg, uh, what kind of head does this beer have? <laughs> uh, khakis. Khakis. First of all, I love the khaki head. Yeah. Hey, hey, well done. Hey, well, well done to BB13. Hey, that, was was very, that was great. That was great. That was great. I will yeah. say the one thing that I did really like, and I believe the first time we read a um, a review, it was a poor review of whatever beer. We completely <laughs> trashed it. But I think this yeah. one is very nice just because it has some of the notes like the the kind of the pie crust taste, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of the fluffiness oh, yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, I do taste that. And sometimes you have such a complex flavor palette that you're like, I don't even know what I'm tasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, half, yeah. you know, I don't know about you. I'm I'm a caveman sometimes when it comes to drinking beer. I'm like, yeah, it tastes good. Yeah, it tastes yeah, not exactly. good. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, so when someone's like, hey, do you taste the pie crust? Hey, when when someone explains all the flavors to you, you're, you're like, ah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I did get that like marshmallow fluff in there. Right. Point, yeah. Well, so guys, I picked this one up from a uh, Delhi liquor store yeah, down yeah. here in Cincinnati west that side, has such yeah, what <laughs> down here on the west side has such a great selection. For as tiny as it of, is, right? For it's as absurd. tiny as it is. And I'm not just talking like good selection. I'm talking about good local selection. Yep. Stuff here from Great Ohio. Selection. Awesome selection. Excellent. But this can stands out so much because it's got the emperor with his hands out. Emperor of the known universe. And it's kind of got like a Pink Floyd thing going mm-hmm. on there with the space, uh, the Floyd, triangle. Star Wars. Uh, yes, yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. It's just, it's a very, you kind of look at it and at first glance you're like, oh, that's a serious spear. And then you read the peanut butter Oreo double imperial oatmeal pastry <laughs> stout 12% and you're like, well, I have to get this beer. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. that's why I got it for us. And I you're was like, what, is, what does this mean? <laughs> I got it more because the can stuck out to me and then the description was such a mouthful. I was like, we've got to try this because it's either going to be one of those complex, wild, what in the world is this beers? Or it's going to be one of those that we've had so many of. One of those super well done, hits Excellent. the mark across the board mm-hmm. on its flavors, locally crafted Ohio beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's either going to be great or it's going to be one of those where it's like, yeah, someone just guessed on flavors and they just like threw some crap in there and it just tastes like a heavy stout that has yeah. you know, yeah, no there's, flavor. There's but, going for your beers like, or there's just dumping a bunch of shit <laughs> into your barrels and trying to get a crazy, yeah. this is well crafted. And like though. I you know, with his, uh, with the reading of the can and, you know, with the descriptive taste. And we were asking, you know, in our in-depth pre-show meetings, what beer we should have the other day. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we have this, you know, IPA and we have this peanut butter. (laughs) And I was like, this is a mouthful, but I'm interested to try this. Oh, So, you know, you try it and you actually, it's weird to try something that's, 
you know, as in depth as this and actually be like, all right, I get the peanut butter. I get the Oreo. Mm -hmm. I get the oatmeal. I get the pastry. Like I actually taste everything that's in this long name. You know, normally you're like, Oh, I get all these beer stuff and it's like, yeah, it's kind of like fruity or whatever, but yeah, sometimes it's like, Oh yeah, it's fun. They did a cool, they did a cool wacky beer and everything, but this on the money, this is an omnipotent beer. Just like our emperor of the known universe. Yeah. All right, welcome back into our big chug here on 30 Rack of Sports, your Ohio sports and beer review podcast. Guys, we're talking about the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program, their tumultuous uh, season that they've had the past two years, just a, a wild ride. We have gotten the comprehensive timeline from our man Greg here. We've given you our initial thoughts. Now we're going to really get in to who these people are, Greg. So first off, we've got the former Cincinnati Bearcats <laughs> head coach, John Brannon, who, guys, I just want to point out, you know, a lot of, a lot of tough things have been said about John Brannon, but I do want to point out that this man took the Bearcats to a regular season title in his first year and to the AAC championship game. Somehow, I have no idea still how they made it to that game uh, yeah. this season, but you've got to give him that—that that he led them through this. Well, however, he faced, he faced an SMU team that was off for COVID for a month before. Right. And then beat a Wichita State team that obviously and the players, wasn't playing like their best. And the players, like they said, at that players-only meeting, they said they, they agreed to play for themselves, yeah. not for him. So Right. And you still saw him walk off the court early in that Houston game, and that kind of set off a lot of the attention on who this guy really Again, is. Again, they almost lost by 40. Yeah. So, you know, walking off the court early – a lot of the allegations that have been laid against them, whether they're just rumors from this random lawyer or rumors from players' parents, rumors from players. There's been the a lot of allegations <laughs> from even the training staff about this guy. Greg, who is John Brandon? And, you know, how did he get into this role? And how did he Are you gonna do like have a slideshow with early like, they do at weddings? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with that music. You'll John see Brandon. You'll see him here with Chris Vote. Within <laughs> So John Brandon in Alexandria, Kentucky native. So right over oh, right by in Northern native. Kentucky. Uh, played high school at uh, Newport Central. A Norseman. Uh, before attending Moorhead State, then transferring to Marshall. Becoming a member of the Thundering Herd, we are. where he was a teammate of Jason White Chocolate Williams nice. under the tutelage of uh, current, I guess he's with the Bulls now, current Bulls, former Thunder and Florida coach Billy Donovan, and uh, his assistant, former Wichita State coach Greg Marshall. <laughs> Uh, after college, played professionally in Belgium for two years before coming back to the U.S. to get into coaching. Before uh, 90, or Between 1999 and 2013, he was an assistant for uh, D2 Charleston, uh, Eastern Kentucky, St. Bonaventure, uh, VCU, and Alabama. And then in 2013, he was uh, named associate head coach at Alabama, where he was at that role for two years. 
and then became the interim head coach for the two NIT games after um, former Alabama, now Dayton head coach, Anthony Grant, was fired following the SEC tournament. Uh, And then in 2015, he was named the head coach of Northern Kentucky and led the Norse to the NCAA tournament in in their first year eligible in 2017, taking the team to two tournaments with two Horizon League tournament championships in four years before getting hired to UC in April of 2019. So I'll offer my first thoughts here. And you guys tell me if you agree or disagree with this. All right. I believe disagree that <laughs> you, you watch yourself over You're there. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you watch yourself over there. Uh, I believe that John Brandon is a decent basketball coach. I mean, he did great things with NKU. Yeah. And he overcame a lot of things with the UC basketball program. However, I think with the COVID things that happened, I think Brandon just got a little in over his head. Mm-hmm. Let's compare NKU to UC for a moment. NKU, you know, all those guys over there are mostly local players. Most of your Horizon guys, you'll maybe have right. a handful of guys from out of towners, unless you're like a Cleveland State team that went through a huge rebuild. Usually, you're taking transfers from wherever. Yeah, 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 you're taking transfers from wherever. But usually, with these mid majors, especially you know Mac Horizon, you've just got your local regional yeah. guys. So when COVID happens at NKU and everything, you're just like, all right, guys, you know, go back home, stay with your families, you know, their resources, their safety nets, they're right there and everything. Everyone's already at home for the most part, and there's not a whole lot of damage control you have to do. Yeah. But then when you look at these other programs, you know, your big pro basketball programs like Duke, North Carolina, Gonzaga, you've got international squads Mm -hmm. there and it takes a lot more management logistically emotionally mentally to make sure these guys are going to be okay through all that and then brandon with uc stuff you've got three different groups of guys that you've got to manage you've got mixed old guides you've got your guys you've got the international and other transfers yeah Yeah. and so you've got to manage all those groups and make sure that they are still okay through this global pandemic and that is not the same managing that at a uc program than it is at an nku program and then with john brandon's dad passing away unfortunately that whole sad fiasco, don't want to call it a fiasco, but that whole sad thing, you know, situation, situation, you've got to go deal with that. You've got to go deal with that on top of everything else. And so then it does turn into a fiasco because you're dealing with that. You're dealing with this team. You're dealing with the, you know, season unraveling before it has even begun. And so, I think he just got in a little over his head. I think and things unraveled where really quickly. You're at, and, I, and I agree. I think he he's obviously he knows what he's doing as a basketball coach, right? Right. He knows how to teach the game. Blah blah blah. I think you bring up a great point about the Horizon League and that kind of thing. Where I don't I don't want to compare it to high school. I'm just saying though, it's it's much more teaching the game that kind of stuff. You get to a big program like UC where you're recruiting kids everywhere. It's about relationships. Relating exactly. to other people from different backgrounds, different places. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think obviously he got in over his head there or something. It's it's weird to me still though because you can't tell me that ain't. I'm just curious now. I'm gonna look up that Northern Kentucky roster. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I'm sure the vast majority are from the area, but it's just I, it seems it's weird. Just, but you're right. Me. Like I don't want to compare the Horizon League but, to high school no, or anything. But you're right. It's much yeah. more regional, and you can more about I, teaching. I, you I don't mean, have to worry just, about that stuff. Yeah, I think the the two things that you can look specifically is one. It's it's a very national team. You know, you look at Harvey is from Kansas. Uh, Tari Eason's from Washington. The Matson brothers are from Minnesota. And also, you have a very young team. You know, as we mentioned, yeah. five freshmen brought in, two sophomores at the time. You know, a very young team. And I know a lot of the guys, because, you know, unfortunately, uh, it was found out recently that one of the few guys left on the team, Jeremiah Davenport, who's a Moeller grad, his one of the only local guys on the team, his dad passed away. Yeah. And a lot of the you know players that are even transferring talked about, I know Zach Harvey talked about one of the guys who made me feel most at home when I was here was the Davenport family because they kind of took me in, mm-hmm. you know, showed me the way. A lot of the issue that Brandon had was, you know, especially during the COVID shutdown where these kids were stuck in their room, they didn't have anyone to lean on. And Brandon was kind of a disconnect there. And that was a big issue. The other issue that I feel like you kind of have is when you're at NKU. Can usually, I poke a hole in the whole local thing real quick? That I, we all yeah. just jumped on. I, I'm guess, I, I was guessing he I jumped. I was going to yeah. uh, look at their roster when he was there. Um, Drew McDonald was fairly local. There's like two guys from Kentucky. Yeah. Fair. Uh, they had a player from Nigeria, uh, Canada, France, two guys from Lima, Ohio, uh, Chicago, Colorado, two guys from Pickerington, Ohio, Chicago, Kansas, Cincinnati. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's still fairly local. I mean, you know, Lima's not far. Here's, here's the other thought that probably the more honest thought, I think it's sort of in the place that you were going, but not quite the local thing is if you're in the horizon league, you're not too far of a step up from you know d2 or lower like if you look at a lot of the cincinnati guys even if they have to take a step back you know looking at all of these transfers none of them had to transfer to d2 right some of them had to transfer you know georgia state you know sunbelt conference usa big west i think josh's point was yeah like you're saying it was these guys there's a little bit lower level guys are just (sighs) they're hanging on and they realize that this is their chance that's that's probably their only d1 offer yeah Right, or, you're or one stick of with it. one of two, and yeah. if they transfer and they get a bad rap, then you're probably having to go either D two or a JUCO route. Right, so you've got to play the cards a you lot, have. Yeah, there's a lot level. more control, and there's a lot more buy into the system. Yeah, but you look at a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, Gabe Matson played three games, and you know, is basically running off his high school tape. He got a Pac twelve offer straight off. You know, yeah. Tari Eason was good during the season. He's getting, you know, Arizona offers and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So a lot of these guys have secondary issues, and especially with the way the transfer portal is opening up. When you don't make guys feel welcome and you make guys promises that you don't keep, then they can leave, especially in today's college basketball where the transfer portal is so open. Right. If you don't make promises and you don't help these kids' careers, then they're going to leave. If you 
try to become a dictator of a college basketball program unless you're Coach K or one of these programs that has all of this cachet where you're like, yeah. You're going to you know, buy if, in. If I have to, if I have to go yeah. to a lower major five school, that's going to hurt me over Duke. It's like if I have to go from Cincinnati to a Pac-12 school or to another AAC school or to you know somewhere else, I'm fine. It's like right. it's like being a it's like that being a that that coach. level of college basketball is you know similar to like you know NBA versus the developmental league. This guy is the deal, like you said. They're 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 gonna buy. It's easier to get them to buy in. You're well, like, this, I mean, this was your shot, guy. Like that's it. That's almost like I mean, it's like college versus the pros. It's like, look, I can get you to the pros, yeah. and then when you get into the especially some of the football coaches. NCAA mm-hmm. football, it's like, look, I can throw you on the end of the bench and maybe you'll transfer to a decent school, but who knows? And then you get into the pros and the guys are like, look, if you're going to tell me that, I'll tell you the fuck off. I'll go to another team. Yeah. I'll hold out. And guess what? I'll come back to haunt you every time yeah. and make just as much money. Well, so... You do a top off. I'm topped off. You're topped off? Yeah. There's only three cans? No, there's oh, there's four. Oh, cans. There's four yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we can we can top off here. We can top off here. Yeah, we can top off here. But uh, as we top <laughs> off, as we top off our beers, let's move yeah. to the top of the Bearcats athletic organization. You know, we talk about John Brandon being the new coach. John Brandon was the last hire of former athletic director Mike Bone, who is now at USC. Yep. Uh, went over to SoCal with Mick. what's with uh, they yeah, what's with SoCal people like oh it's bringing these Midwesterners. I mean it's it's basically everybody in Ohio. I'm I mean it's move not to hard. It's not it. hard to offer a Midwesterner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, offer a Midwesterner a million dollar contract. They know you doing California, porn, but yeah. <laughs> bald porn maybe. I was just about to say. Well, I wasn't a, saying him, him and Mike Bone together is the short and bald section a new like category short and bone or no oh my goodness (laughs) all right uh as we transition away from our barstool segments uh uh, we start from as we refill top off our beers to the top of the uh bearcast athletic organization uh we had the new coach john brannon last hire of former athletic director mike bone New athletic director John Cunningham steps in. And now you have the rift, apparently, that some people say is the basis of this whole you know, coaching situation is that there is a huge rift between Brandon and Cunningham. So yeah, Greg, I would assume now. Greg, who is this? Uh, <laughs> obviously. Who is, who is this Cunningham? Yeah, now there's going to be this big legal battle over <laughs> if Brandon gets the money that he is owed and everything. Um, but Greg, who is this John Cunningham fellow, the new athletic director so, for the Cincinnati Bearcats? Uh, John Cunningham, Texas guy, graduated Ugh. from TCU in 01, uh, law degree from one of Zach's favorite universities, Nebraska in 2005. So it's worthless. Uh, worked in compliance at TCU from 2006 to 2011, and then uh, left for... The sun-soaked beaches of Boise, Idaho. Uh, In 2011 to 2014, he worked at Boise State as the assistant athletic directors for external relations and hmm, NCAA compliance. Left Boise for uh, greener pastures, I guess, in Syracuse, New York. Maybe not quite greener, but 
Less guess, potatoes. Less potatoes. Uh, he was the deputy AD uh, for admin at Syracuse for two years and then moved to Minnesota. Minnesota. The bright beaches of Minnesota <laughs> for three years where he was also the deputy AD for admin at Minnesota. Helped to uh, you know, increase attendance for football, helped to kind of rejuvenate yeah. some of their programs. So in December of 19, so... Uh, Early into John Brandon's tenure, you know, about a month or so into his first season, uh, he was hired by UC to replace, uh, as we mentioned, the aforementioned Mike Bone, who left. For How USA. old is he? It's quite the uh, that's quite the quick rise. Cunningham. If I was adding up, I think the, he's uh, like 14, 15. He looks like he's fourteen. Yeah, I've seen him. That's on my. That guy moved up. Young, young say, looking fellow. Well, he graduated yeah. in oh one. So if you think maybe twenty two, twenty three in oh one, he was born in the he's. So he's like 43. He's like 43. About, about, your, a, about your age, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's way younger than Zach. Uh, fuck you, yeah. Uh, I was just saying, damn. I mean, that, that's quite the uh, the, the resume. Um, it's kind of his, his first big hire then. Well, yeah. So it's it's. I want to clear up that, yeah. So Bone, was that was his last hire, basically, was Brandon. And now, yeah, Cunningham... With this whole thing, yeah, it's going to be his first hire. Yeah, because cause Cunningham, I mean, Bone at the end of his career, you know, um, got fickle, um, got, I, I'm blinking on the, the women's basketball coach, but she's done a great job. Yeah. Um, you know, hired Brandon, and then a couple months later, Cunningham mm-hmm. took Baseball over. Baseball programs turned around. But yeah, also yeah, got yeah. Uh, Guggins. Yeah, yeah. Guggins, Stolz, Guggins from Xavier. Yeah. Um, yeah. The women's team has been great. Unfortunately, Amari Thomas just transferred, and she's been gr- so awesome for the uh, for the Cincinnati Bearcats, led by head coach Michelle Clark Hurd. Michelle uh, Clark. I, yeah. I knew it was a double last name. I couldn't think. I could see her face, but I couldn't I think. think of and they've been great. Um, but while those hires have been made – it's uh, it's worth noting that uh, the men's soccer program has been cut um, with COVID and everything. And so, you know, some people start to wonder, like, is Cunningham the guy or not? And now, you know, moving forward, as we previously mentioned, uh, you know, communications-wise and being upfront about this whole situation has been very lackluster from all parties involved. You don't say. And as you mentioned earlier, Zach, that there was maybe issues with if this affects uh, football coach Luke Fickle. Because as many fans have pointed out, Luke Fickle asked for $8 million for facility renovations for the football program. Which they need. Which they need. And I understand there is some fundraising being done to get that. And there are plans in the work for a football renovation for the money they got. That bubble's ugly as hell, man. But they only got I love the bubble. The bubble uh, I hate the bubble. The Clifton bubble. But you only got the four million dollars that you of the eight million that you asked for, and then you see them turn around and pay five million dollars just to get rid of the basketball program or the basketball head coach, <laughs> not the program. Josh, breaking news: they're cutting the <laughs> basketball. <laughs> just to get rid of the men's basketball head coach. And so, yeah, now fans start to wonder, is this going to affect other coaches, other decisions? That, there's there's that rumor, there rumors out there weird. that, you know, Cunningham and uh, Brandon hadn't spoken to each other since the end of the season. Yeah, and there, there were rumors a- advancing past that that said that 
Cunningham and Fickle don't really have that great of a relationship. Well, so I know there was a conversation, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, what, Tom Mars or whatever his Tom name is. Tom Mars. Yeah, the, he's been yeah, involved in the, the uh, lawyer, lawyer. He's the lawyer, lawyer for, for Brandon. Brandon. He basically does NC. What a niche. He does all these, you know, because he was the guy with the likeness uh, with O'Bannon. I think he represented him. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. But uh, he was the one, Tate you know, Hotel. talking about, um, I guess, originally when Bone was hired, the original language in the contract, according to Mars, which I, I haven't seen the contract. I haven't read the contract. I don't know. You haven't? I, if someone wants to give me a, it, He's wants not an to get me a uh, copy of the contract, I'll read it for you, okay? I'll Can read it out. Read? The big words. Some of them. Yes, <laughs> I'll have to ask you to sound out the big ones for okay. me. Um, but said that he, Brandon, was going to report directly to the athletic director. When Cunningham took over, he had him report to a middleman, like a deputy AD. What? A CFO, not so. a deputy AD. The reports from that you're referring to, Greg, say that he was then reporting to a CFO. Um, that was a, an accountant for the athletic what? department. And that part, and again, that just comes from this lawyer. You know, there are other allegations too that like the medical, the, the training staff was like afraid to get into a fight with Brandon over how hard practices were being run. But those are all allegations that come from Brandon's camp and Brandon's lawyers and everything. And you don't know how- I mean, if that's how, true, that's If that's insane. true, yeah, exactly. Exactly. If that's true, that's insane. Any head coach of any of your programs should be able to report directly to you. Yeah. Exactly. As the AD. Well, and no, that's- so, the the medical thing is very because there was there's been a lot of disconnect and everyone that's seen Mick Cronin coach and seen him get his red face knows that he's kind of a hard ass. Uh, he's an asshole. And when these players are having issues playing for a new head coach like Jaron Cumberland and Keith Williams and whatnot, mm-hmm. there's something going on he must if you're worse than mick cronin he must be like the satan i mean i don't know that's what i mean i mean mick cronin was a guy that seemed like all of his players loved him but he would also have like yeah t- i mean yeah right. but again he, he seems like a guy who can a... connect with guy when he's not yeah. yelling well, at you look at yeah, what he, seemed like you look a guy at what he just scream did scream at you and then hug you yeah but also you know i mean heck he missed half a season because of an aneurysm if that doesn't right. describe how he does as a coach, you know. Well, and you also, and and this is something that uh, our uh, March Madness pool tournament winner has often pointed out to me, that when you watch this Bearcats team, and granted, we we couldn't be there this year in Don't play person. Defense. Not even not even the play of the game and everything, but Don't when you watch guys come off of the court and head to the bench, offense. Don't high-five anyone. They do not really? high-five anyone. Yeah. They do not make contact, and the guy sits in his chair, and no one comes over and says anything. You look at these other teams, and you yeah. saw this in March Madness with okay. Mick's team. When a guy came and took the bench off of the court, either Mick or an assistant coach was coming over and say, hey, instead of, you know, instead of cutting into the lane... Right. Correction, yeah, cut, you know, cut outside, you know, watch how you're shooting this, you know, right. some coaching tips. But when Bearcats came off the court, nothing, nothing. I didn't really notice that, but that's and it's weird. hard that's to a, notice. Yeah. And, and granted, that's another thing that we don't fully know because we we couldn't be there this year and we were only watching on TV. Yeah, but there was a. I remember there was a. You know, you don't notice that. There right. There was a specific um, discussion that I, unfortunately. 
one of my least favorite announcers, Dan Dockage, was talking about <laughs> in because um, he was trying to praise Brandon, but he was saying there was a players only meeting where you know they had discussed playing for themselves. Yeah. At that point, Brandon had decided. I mean, if all your players were locked down in their rooms, like, wouldn't you try to do anything to try to connect with them? Oh, yeah. They finally figured out after the players only meeting. Hey, maybe bring food to the players every once in a while. Maybe try to make them feel at home every once in a yeah. while. Didn't do any of that. Yeah, I mean, no, no, that's bad. I, I totally agree. I think the whole thing. And all I'm why... saying is, my whole thing is, I think it's gonna be messy though, because sure, they can fire him for whatever. But you got to dollars. pay him that five million dollars, yeah. and I just think they're they're so, going to pay him five million dollars. So Zach, you lead us into a great wrapping up point. You know, we've talked at length now on the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball situation. John Brandon is out. Eric Martin has a second interview with the team. Nick Van Exel is out. Is also interviewed, and then there's some other names out there just that it doesn't sound like State they have. I love the Nick Van Exel. Just send him to Cincy State for a few weeks and get a degree. <laughs> The Eric Martin was a former coach at, at uh, Cincinnati State. Oh, really? So oh, damn. where do we go from here, guys? Let's give our wrapping up thoughts here. Where do we go from this as a basketball program? I like them seem spent. Go big, man. Go big. Cincinnati's a basketball school. Look, Fickle's done great. I don't see him leaving us at any time. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, generally, but it's not a football school. Um, they need to... Yeah, I mean, I again, I get Nick Van Exel things. I was not realistic on a multitude of levels. Um, I think, yeah, I think the Kevin Martin hire, I I, I like that. Like I said, Eric, I, Martin, Eric Martin. Eric Martin, sorry. And not talking about former Rocket and King uh, Kevin Martin. I, I yeah, yeah, no, I didn't mean to talk to, yeah, Western Carolina's love, uh, Kevin Martin. Because um, I've seen the list. I know there's been different lists. I know, like Darren Savino. I Do we really want Mick Cronin 2.0? Probably worse. And even he wasn't promoted when Cronin had to sit out for a little bit. Right. He, even Cronin didn't um, list him as a replacement. Yes, I'm all in on the Eric Martin train. Uh, bring Huggy Bear basketball back to Cincinnati. He, need, he just needs somebody. He understands the program. He understands the city. understands what? Did I say it again? You said bring back Bob Huggins. I don't think that's good. I, I said Huggy Bear Yeah, Huggy Bear. Yeah, Huggy Bear ball. Yeah, ball. And, Martin, and, and Huggins has been an assistant for 15 yeah. years. Yeah. And they've done great down there. That's and what I was trying to say. I was going to say, bring him back, get Van Exel maybe on the staff while he finishes up a degree. Yeah, and exactly. you have two guys that played on that 92 team. Yeah. You have that toughness. You bring back Bearcat basketball. You at least have something to sell the players. And you've seen former players have some success, at least recruiting-wise. Well, Patrick Ewing's thing. been up and down. Penny Hardaway. So that's why I think Van Exel would Penny, Penny Hardaway. Look at Penny Hardaway. Because I think Van Exel would recruit like... Yeah, they brand. recruit like crazy. Yeah. I mean, guy loves iced coffee more than any human <laughs> I've ever met. You don't think that guy would drink five cups of iced coffee and go out and recruit like crazy? And the other thing is, as someone that has watched the majority of Bearcat basketball games since I can remember, as much as I dislike Mick's style... Watching these kids not play defense under Brandon, I can't wait to see someone punch someone in the mouth when they're going up for a layup. Like, get back to that tough defense, that pressure that Puggy has. Maybe not the best players, but good athletes and guys that can play good defense and score some points. 
that Clifton toughness. That's what we yeah, want Clifton. back. And I think we're all in agreement here that we are looking forward to maybe an Eric Martin, Nick Van Exel tandem coaching staff moving forward with the Cincinnati Bearcats. That's our thoughts on the Bearcats program as uh, sports podcast guys, as University of Cincinnati alums, as huge Bearcats fans. We're looking forward to better days ahead for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. We'll hit What's Brewing Ohio and our cheers next to end our show. Be looking for us on social media at 30 Racket Sports. Welcome in to What's Brewing Ohio. Guys, I normally have like a uh, big bunch of stuff for you, but today I've just got one awesome thing. We're drinking Arche Brewing uh, they're Emperor of the Unknown Peanut Butter Oreo Double Imperial Oatmeal Pastry Stout. I think we're at the counter's seven for times that we said that. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> we're drinking this awesome stout from Arche Brewing in Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. Can you guys uh, tell me what county is that in? Anybody? Uh, not Cuyahoga. Not Cuyahoga. No, it's just not south. Uh, does it start with a D? Summit County. Oh, Summit ah. County. I was, I was Summit say County. Stills County was my next guess. Summit County. And one of the best beer paths, beer passports, beer walks, beer tours, whatever you want to call it. One of the best in Ohio is getting underway this Wednesday. So if you're listening to this on our day that our episode usually drops on Tuesday, it's tomorrow. But Wednesday, April 12th, I think. No, April April 14th, excuse me. The Summit Beer Path opens. And guys, this runs all the way through December 12th of 2021. Wow. All you need to do is stop by one of the 24 participating craft breweries, pick up your passport, have a sample or two, and then get going on to the next one. Because if you complete the passport by stopping at 20 to 24 of the breweries eligible, then you could be entered for prizes and that includes vip experiences at one of these summit breweries oh. and guys i don't know if you've ever been up there for this you can uh, if you go to our instagram at 30 rack of sports you can get a sample of the breweries that are on this tour when we did a little cuyahoga beer run last fall but there are so many great breweries in this summit county beer path and you only need to stop at 20 to 24 of them. But Arche Brewing that we are drinking today in downtown Ohio, they are one of, they are one of them. We've also had the Brew Kettle on the oh, show. I love They're the on there. Uh, Ac uh, Akron and Brewing, 83 Brewery in Akron, Head Trip Brewery, uh, Hop and Frog Brewery. Oh, I love Hop. They, they made a LeBron beer. I love that Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Uh, Lock 15, Madcap in Kent, Magic City, Missing Mountain, a really great brewery in Cuyahoga Falls. In Cuyahoga Falls. Hi-ho, yep. Hi -ho. All great breweries up there. If, if you want to take my personal recommendation on how to do this beer path, start in Kent at like a madcap or one of those areas, yeah. make your way down Route 8, hit the Cuyahoga Run, do the Missing Mountain, some of the guys in there, and then kind of move into the downtown Akron area. 
Just remember the muck is fine at Mucky Duck. Just remember the muck is fine. And just remember that when you do this, that you have a uh, Uber, Lyft, or safe and responsible designated driver with you. Because, yeah, these are a lot of breweries to go to. Don't go to all of them in one day unless you're, you know, some sort of super trooper human. But these are a lot of great breweries up there. You can help out that economy up there, getting getting some money into those local businesses and experiencing some of Ohio's greatest craft beer offerings. That's the Summit Brew Path. Get your passport up there. Make it a day trip. That is what is brewing in Ohio. Two monks. Guys, it's time to wrap up. We're going to cheers before we get out of here for the night. Once again, thank you so much for listening to 30 Rack of Sports, Ohio's sports and beer podcast. Uh, Josh, before we get out of here, is there anyone you're cheersing today? Anyone in Ohio, out of Ohio, uh, around I, Ohio? I had one good Ohio one, and then something was announced during our recording. So I have to during a during. bonus you breaking news to Kent State alum and uh, NFL wide receiver. Oh, Julie Edelman. Yeah, Julian Edelman. That was has... announced like way before we recorded. Oh, I thought oh, you I'm were just saying, now like, seeing it. Oh, shit no, yeah, no, I wouldn't talk about that. Saving my language there. Uh, Julian Edelman, seventh round pick, ended up winning three Super Bowls, a Super Bowl MVP, and uh, yeah, uh, got to walk watch him walk at graduation at Kent State, actually, which was not in my plans that day and was an extremely long day. But but we call it Kent Reed, Kent Wright, Kent State, right, Josh? That's that's exactly right, Greg. The lowers. We don't respect anyone from Kent State, the, right, Josh? The lowers of the Mac. I never would. No, certainly not. Uh, my all-time cheer, though, that I had planned for tonight was to a guy that uh, you may have heard, like his name mentioned at the end of uh, live broadcasts that for the Reds or the Bear or Tom Brenneman, not Tom Brenneman, oh, okay. Dick Wolf, or for the Bengals, Dong Dong. These are their stories, <laughs> not Dick Wolf. I'm Talk talking about gaff. I'm talking about local director uh, David Ashbrock, who is a local director and producer, video producer here in Cincinnati, and uh, he recently re-pieced together a ton of different uh, media's that covered the 1961 national championship game, and I say media's because media. he edited together. Uh, photos, radio broadcasts, and the coach's footage basically made up all these graphics to base and did a pregame, halftime, and postgame show with Dan Horde and Terry Nelson that basically put together this never-before-seen experience of the 1961 National Championship game between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the yeah. Bearcats won Who one of two straight year? championships against the Ohio State Who Buckeyes. Won it the year before. I mean, yeah, one year before, but then the next two years, the Bearcats won it. But. And then the next year. And I went to school there. Like, I get, you guys like throw this stuff in my face. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can play both sides. So. And they won these national championships <laughs> without the oh, big I'm O. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, so we can just accept two teams in every single league? That's right. That's right. But no, David Ashbrock did such a good job with this. It was so cool to like see all this yeah. stuff and the way he like cool. brought in replays from this and to see, you know, Wheezy out there in his final game for the Bearcats and to see that moment and to watch that whole it's an awesome game, first off. 
an incredible basketball game. But just the way he did all that from an editing and video production standpoint to me was really, really cool. And to see that moment as a Bearcats fan was just awesome. Cheers to David Ashbrock and all the work he did on that. Really good job. Zach, do you have any cheers? Uh, side of the 1961 Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> First of all, pretty cool that for three straight years, the center of college basketball universe was Ohio. Just saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hondo um, was on some of those teams. Yeah. So, shout um, out to John Havlicek. Jerry Lucas. Speaking of people who cut things together, I was actually going to shout out Josh. Our producer. Uh, our Whoa. producer, uh-huh. who has, uh, if you haven't seen our social media feed, uh, Josh, Josh does a lot of work around here uh he gets a lot of the beers <laughs> he does a lot of the work here greg and i just show well greg at least lets us use his house i just show up. i do research i show I up late i know you do you jeez why well, hey, i appreciate it and i couldn't but i wanted to shout without. out josh who spends all the time cutting all this stuff up uh cutting out all of our blunders couldn't do it without the opinions and the talent we look like a real podcast during that, like, if if you haven't checked out on our Facebook and uh, the Twitter, the trailer. I've showed everybody look I know. Like it looks dope. a real it actual looks like ESPN podcast. Made that. And it I does, appreciate yeah. that because yeah. if, jo- or if Zach and I did it, it would be much worse. So <laughs> It'd we be really like one it. of those PowerPoint pieces. <laughs> it would just pick this still is photos. This is good. Yeah. Well, there'd be like a grainy, there'd be like a grainy <laughs> camera, and I'd be like pointing at a PowerPoint you can't even read and be like, this is why we're good. Yeah, exactly. Well, lucky for you guys, that's what public access is for. And I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate it though. Greg, Greg, what's your cheers? Uh, so I'm going a little off the beaten path, but I think it's important to get this guy's story out, uh, a story of perseverance and uh, working through issues. My shout out actually comes from Tampa, Florida. Uh, one Brent Honeywell Jr. of the Tampa Bay Rays. So this was a young man who is about the same age as uh, Josh and I, so much younger than Zach. Um, he okay. threw two perfect innings in his debut on Sunday. And you're wondering, starter, two innings, not a big deal. So he was a top prospect in 2017, a 13-9 record, 349 ERA in double and triple A, and poised to make the jump in into the MLB in 2018. February of 2018, he tears his UCL, Tommy John surgery, tries to come back. June of 2019, fractures a bone in his right elbow, misses the rest of that season. 2020, needs another surgery on his right ulnar nerve, so elbow again, to remove scar tissue, which rules him out for the entire 2020 season. So a guy that has basically not pitched for three seasons, a guy that has worked through, I believe there was a fourth surgery in there that I didn't mention. So four surgeries in three years gets from the point where he's on the cusp of making it to the majors mm-hmm. to somehow getting back there three years later wow. and putting together two perfect innings. I mean, if he never, I mean, he's poised to be a solid MLB pitcher once again, only 26. Yeah. But a guy that's just an inspirational story where sometimes. A moment in time isn't right for you, and sometimes you have to wait a couple of years. Yeah. But just the perseverance is just impeccable and something that really inspires everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Have you seen a lot of stories about, you know, pitchers like that that persevere? But oh, yeah. going through all those surgeries, man, that's a lot. It's a lot. 
Baseball, not great for the old elbows. <laughs> no, no, not great for the old elbows. But you know what's great for one part? 30 Rack of Sports, great for the ears. So make sure to listen, subscribe, hey. follow on Facebook and Twitter, and tell all your friends. And you know what's good for shoulder pain? This 12% <laughs> peanut butter Oreo double I can't feel my body right oatmeal now. pastry stout because, yeah, that is a... Uh, it's a good beer. I can't. It's I very can't, good. No, nothing in my face I can feel. As <laughs> no. you've been telling, because I've been slurring over my words for the last half an hour. But once again, shout out to uh, Arche Brewing. Shout out to all of you for listening. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, you know, it's it's one of the biggest joys of our week just to be able to hang out and talk about sports and drink beer for a couple hours. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, for We'll Thirsty say we'll much? say for this time the real talent, the guy who cuts up everything. Oh wow! On the yeah. Oh whoa! You guys Josh. are landing on thick tonight. We want to make should sure do twelve percent beers more often. <laughs> uh, for the opinions, the guy who maybe makes the most sacrifices to be here for a show on every week. Oh, it's I mean, it's Zach. You thirsty much? Thank you. And for <laughs> the real talent, let's be honest. I could be doing this by myself. It's Greg. Thank you Honestly, so much. you probably you probably could. could. I won't. It'd deny be terrible that. sound quality. Yeah, yeah, I won't he, deny. He could. could sit in the dark room by yourself and just talk about it. Well, either way, thank you so much for listening to all three of us on Thirty Rack of Sports. Uh, we'll be back next week to delve into more baseball, the Ohio Cup, and everything going on in Ohio sports and Ohio beer. Peace. Peace.